When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to Utopia. Stephen Chicken here, joined once again by David Hartrick. You're back, Dave, and better than Who ever. Who the hell is Mel Booth? <laughs> That's what they've been chanting for years, isn't it? Um, no, it's no. Uh, I listened last week. He was good, wasn't he? Yeah, he's all right. That Mel, he knows his stuff. It's as though he's been watching Huddersfield Town for thirty-five years plus uh, yeah. in a in a professional capacity or something. Um, he will have watched the this is a great segue he will have watched the the two nil win over sheffield wednesday last week i think it's a long time ago now in in podcast terms but i think worth saying before we move on it was nice to see town get another routine win back-to-back routine wins two nil no problem there you go uh it was i th- i i worried we're going to come across as incredibly negative in this podcast the one thing i am going to say about that sheffield wednesday game is it's another game where they've played really really well for half an hour and then they've let the other side back into it and they've almost like taken their foot off the gas and you feel like if they could have put another half an hour together they there was four or five for them mm. again there um which is my only sort of slight caveat but yeah we talked before the season that these 2-0 wins these sort of entirely routine wins are the thing that Huddersfield Town have been missing arguably for about three years so I, I no one can really complain about it no and I think that these are the these are the wins that make you feel like however bad things might have got on Saturday things would have to still drop another level for any kind of a, a relegation battle to, to open up as it stands because they are to be fair beating a lot of the teams that are, are below them in the table yeah and that's that's town's season in a nutshell isn't it that they've just got to beat the teams that are below them um and just if they can cruise into mid-table, we said before the season, that would be perfectly acceptable. And I think that still has to be the benchmark, to be brutally honest. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, we move on to Saturday afternoon. And they're playing <laughs> they're playing Bournemouth. We need to start with the team selection. And I know it's a point that by the time people are listening to this, it's been probably done to death at this point. But it, it does bear talking about. I, I don't think any of us expected the side that came out at, at two o'clock on Saturday afternoon. No, it, it's it's difficult to draw any positives from this game, and that started an hour before kickoff with that team because without without I mean I'm I'm trying to like I say we try to be positive and we try to pull out sort of real points of analysis etc. I don't think there's anyone who looked at that team and thought they were going to give Bournemouth a decent game, if they're honest. No. And I looked at it from the point of view of, yeah, 
I think in this season, this crazy season with the games coming so thick and fast like they are, I'm all for rotation, but I don't think you do it to that degree in a single game where you make was it five changes? Six. Six changes? Yeah. Six changes. So t- two of them two of them enforced, but four of them not. So you had um obviously Josh Cromer was out the side injured. Um as was Jonathan Hogg, but then you also had Carol Iting, Pippa, Isaac and Bender and Fraser Campbell were all dropped to the bench as well. Yeah, and I think there's been plenty of chances for town to rotate. Um, mm. And I, I think the best rotation is done by managers who rotate one, maybe two players a game to keep what they see as their first eleven generally fresh I think to just go and do it to that degree away at Bournemouth it just creates the illusion that you'd almost given up on the game before it had started to be perfectly honest with you that's that's how it comes across and I don't care who you're playing really the championship is not a league where you can give up on games like that yeah I mean especially they'd only made one change I think I'm right in saying between the QPR and the Sheffield Wednesday games and that was a change they had to make because of Christopher Schindler's injury they, they brought in Ramani Edmonds Green that was the only change so to make one change for that game and then make make six for Bournemouth and I, I know that it's partly a result of the way that the game unfolded um, but they you know the only one of those those four players I mentioned who were dropped to the bench that came on was Isaac and Benzer and that was because Danny Ward got injured yeah so it I mean as I say I think you can understand to be honest when they were 3-0 down after 21 minutes why you would say well the comeback isn't on here (laughs) (laughs) so there's no point throwing on Carolite and risking him getting injured now which is is fair enough but as you say I thought it was it was really uh strange to to rotate all of those players all all at once I think if you take out as you say do two of them against QPR do two of them against Bournemouth do two of them against Coventry and it it it, there's sort of there's there's a few different possible explanations one of them is that there's fitness issues that we're just not aware of so that might have affected the selection for the Sheffield Wednesday game or the selection for Bournemouth so players might not have been as fit as 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 the club you know um to in a way that the club were not sort of happy to reveal that it could be that that it's exactly what you say and they're looking to maximize the points by going for the win against Sheffield Wednesday, playing the best team in that because they think it's a winnable game, which to be fair, yeah, was absolutely right. Um, and then picking a, a, a weaker team against Bournemouth, so you're saving players for Coventry, thinking that that's a more winnable game than than the Bournemouth game. Or it could just be that they just completely got it wrong, <laughs> that they <laughs> that they overestimated the ability of the players that they that they brought in with those six changes and and made a complete hash of it. And I'm kind of inclined to lean towards the second one, the one that you said, that they felt like it was... And it's it's almost an accusation, whichever, whichever one yeah. you go for. But it does feel to me like... You know, because we've seen this, we've seen that Carlos has made changes before. We've seen that he's rotated players in and out of the side, and and has done so in a way that has not been costly. You know, you think of that that win at Millwall, for instance, and Pippa didn't play in that game. He didn't start that game, I should say. He came on late on as a sub, um, just to give him a rest and uh, and get him fresh for the for the coming games instead. So he's not been averse to to making sort of one or two changes for games, but to make to make so many and put so many I mean when particularly when it's Aaron Rowe who is 
pretty much untested at this level. He's had a handful of appearances here and in the Premier League. Mm. Jaden Brown on the left wing, when all of his senior football really, bar a couple of sub-appearances, have been as a left-back. Um, and I know that he sort of came through the academy at Tottenham as a, as a winger more than a, a, a full-back, but um, he was playing on the left wing, sort of arguably out of position there. Uh, Adama Diakabi, who is, again, unproven, really, at this level. Uh, who else was brought into the side? Um, Giannino... um, Richard, who's not played for a month. Yes, his first minutes. Um, since... Brought straight in to start. Yeah, and Giannino Bakuna, who... Well, we've we've talked about enough on this podcast um, and given our views on Janino Bakunas. So, and Danny Ward, uh, who again is it's he's probably the one that you would say him and him and maybe Backer that you would say sort of yeah, fair enough. But but the others again, if if he played sort of any two or three of them, you could understand it and just say well he's he's rotating and that's normal. But to have all six. I don't know. Even 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 when the team sheet came out, you were, as you say, you were looking at that and going, "This isn't going to go well." Yeah, and I think part of the frustration that I think a lot of fans feel about this team selection, looking on Twitter and various other places, and just talking to friends, is that a lot of them we we don't know whether it was or whether it wasn't. We've no idea, but a lot of them do feel it was a surrender beforehand, which is is not a great feeling. And I think with, I think it's easy to forget that Corbran is learning himself. This is not a job he's done before, and managing in youth football and reserve football is so different to first team. So so different. You know, you you're coming from a world where results don't matter to a world where results are everything. You know, it couldn't. The the context could not be more different. And I think. When he looks back, I don't think he would necessarily pick this team again, and I don't think he would want to appear to be seen as giving up on a game before it's even kicked off, um, if that was the case. But I think where you look back and where you sort of start to scratch your head is where, if you feel like the team needs rotating to this degree, you need to start making substitutions before the 75th minute. You need Mm. to start doing one or two a game so that you're keeping people fresh. You know, I, I remarked to you, Stephen, I mean it. Toffolo is an absolute human dynamo. He's a feat of engineering rather than a human being at the minute. But the problem is he will be in the... I would imagine he'll be in Arsene Wenger's red zone. And if something goes, if he does get injured, when you're in... One of the primary things of, of when you're in that red zone is not that you're sort of running round liable to go some, for something to go at any single second. It's more that if you do pick up an injury, it's always like six to eight weeks instead of a couple of weeks shake it off and get going again so I don't know it it was a strange selection it was strange to make all those changes it was strange to play one or two out of position and you ended up feeling like there was one or two players there who had been thrown to the wolves a bit didn't you because Bournemouth are there's no getting away from the fact that Bournemouth are a really really good side but they've not been invincible this season no they they, they weren't in great form actually coming into this game like they they weren't they they weren't then sort of lost five in a row but they they'd lost at home to Preston a couple of games before and they'd had a a lot of of draws Um, I think they'd had one one win in four where Town had had three uh, three wins in four 
But then I, I think it's worth probably getting into the game a bit now, Stephen. The, like the first 20 minutes were just sort of... I mean, it couldn't have gone worse, really, oh, if, no. if we're honest. I mean, the like that first goal, I think it's Brown gets caught by Lerner. Yeah. Um, and it, he's just... I mean, he's going down before the challenge comes in. So hes I think he's actually slightly miscontrolled the ball. Bournemouth are really quick because they see the space open up in front of them. Simple ball inside, another simple ball inside. Uh, the, the thing is... You can't make it that simple when you have like an £18 million striker playing up front because Solanke's movement just to come across Edmunds Green and to give him something to think about as to whether to get tight or whether he was going to have to try and force him wide was good. His touch was brilliant and his finish was brilliant. Mm. But from that moment, I'm not saying it was game on at, uh, game over at that point, but it, it must be so demoralising when you're on that pitch to see how easily you can get carved open like that, mustn't it, I guess? Yeah, I mean, they went straight past Harry Toffolo, straight past Lewis O'Brien, straight past Romani Edmonds-Green. And it, mm. it, it wasn't, the as we'll come on to, it wasn't the only goal where where they just breezed past town players. And, you know, it was a, to be fair, it's it's worth saying at some point that Bournemouth were, were brilliant. And I think playing like this, um, they would have beaten town regardless of what team had been picked. Um, to be perfectly honest, um, just the way that the day unfolded. But yeah, I mean, it was it was so easy for them. They got caught up the left hand side, and there's just this is the thing is that when you look at pretty much all the goals, they changed the midfield slate shape slightly when off the ball. I think when they were on the ball, they played more of that sort of that four three three that that we're used to. But off the ball, they sort of played a four two three one with Pritchard pressing a bit higher and and. Um, and O'Brien and Bakuna is a sort of a midfield two, your double pivots. And they might as well have not been there, <laughs> Bakuna yeah. and O'Brien, for, for pretty much all of the goals, for all the resistance they offered them. Well, and O'Brien is just, that's not his game, is it? He's, <laughs> that's not his game at all. He's great at recovery tackles. We know that he can do that that mm. aspect of the defending. But yeah, I mean, they, they really, really miss Jonathan Hogg in this game. <laughs> I think yeah. it's fair to say, big time. Yeah, the thing is they did rally then a bit and, you know, back had that deflected shot that was really well saved. And there was, for the very briefest of moments, there was sort of that chance where you thought, hmm, could have Bournemouth scored too early here. Yeah. <laughs> and could Town get back into it. But the second goal is yeah. just Naby Zar giving it away and that's not the first time he's been involved in a, something that has led directly to an opposition goal this season. Um, and it was just so... I mean, it was it was criminal, really, wasn't it? That It, it, it was almost... Uh, well, I don't want to say the words brain fart, but it was a brain fart, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, he was, he was trying to play a one-two with Harry Toffolo on the corner of his yeah. own box. And Toffolo didn't even make the run. You know, he wasn't... He wasn't looking yeah. for for that pass, but even if he had made the run, it was an awful pass. Um, yeah. And yeah, Lerma just takes the ball straight off him, square ball to Solanke, takes a touch, bangs it into the the bottom corner. And mm. yeah, I mean, we need to talk about Nabi Sar really. And I know that the other podcast have have talked about him as well, but 
There's been re- there's been games this season where Navi Sara has looked fantastic, and you think what a great. He's been man of the match. Yeah, and, superb. And you think what a pickup he was on a free transfer. And then there's other games where you go, oh, that's why he was a free transfer. Mm. And and it seems the pattern seems to be generally speaking, and I'm I'm nicking Matt's observation there from the other podcast, but the pattern seems to be that it's two good games and then a bad one, and the bad ones are getting. I don't know if they are getting worse or if it's just our perception of them is getting worse but either way i think <laughs> i think there's a, a a case that that it amounts to the same thing because i mean i i gave him a two out of ten and i don't know if i've ever given a two out, i think i've given one two out of ten before <laughs> ever in in 11 years of doing player ratings um but i mean it was a a, a three out of ten without the mistake <laughs> um yeah. with the mistake i couldn't make an argument to, to give him anything more and just to sort of exacerbate that even more it was as you say not the first time this season we've seen those kinds of errors from no. from town and especially not from him so I, that that I, makes I, it even worse i don't think the bad performances are getting worse i think there's just a bit of collectivism happening in that when when you see a mistake like that you immediately think of the other mistakes there yeah. was it stoke away and uh, you know there was the penalty he gave away against Borough when he didn't need to make that challenge. There was the red card he, he got when, again, it was probably a challenge that he didn't need to make in that way. I think there was another goal as well, wasn't there, that he was involved Cardiff, in. Cardiff, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think the problem is Town's defence has been their strength for quite a while. And Saar, I don't think Saar at any stage has been carried by anyone. I think, like you say, when he's good, he's really, really good. But I think when you have Edmund Green next to him, who's a very young man who's still, you know, learning and has has all the potential in the world. But when you have a young central defender like that, what they really need next to him is a bit of experience and a bit of someone talking them through the game and a bit of help with the sort of very practical aspects of it. And I just... I think the problem is that back four with Saar and Toff on one side and Saar having that sort of game and then you've got Edmunds Green and Rowe on the other side is just so easy to get at, really. And yeah, I, I, I'm i not so sure Navi Saar is a problem yet because I think when he's good, he has the capacity to be really, really good, like completely dominant. The last half an hour against uh, Middlesbrough, I think it was, Yeah, we both sat there and thought he was absolutely brilliant and he was... Yeah, he conceded the penalty, but he was also, um, you know, the difference at various points. And then against Sheffield Wednesday as well, I thought he was he was pretty good. He was and, really, and, really solid. And QPR yeah. after uh, after Schindler went off as well, he, he really yeah, stepped he up. Yeah, he was really, really good. So it's not like he's a bad player, it's just he's prone to... I mean, I don't know what do you put it down to, Steve. Is it a lapse of concentration? Is it is, is it a sort of failure to do the basics? What, what would you put it down to? Yeah. Yeah, I I think it is concentration and the other thing that, that I mean when we asked about it after the Cardiff game the other thing that Cortebrand pointed out was we can take risks but we need to make sure that we're taking risks in areas where if there's a mistake it doesn't lead to a goal and, yeah. uh, and I, th- I think that's that's at the crux of it really I think he's over ambitious sometimes um, with his his own abilities to, to play the ball and as a ball player and you see that with some of the, the long passes he tries the certain games where his, his I mean this was one of them this is the other the reason for that too is that some of his 
uh, attempted long balls are, are really sort of it's it's like watching Stephen Gerrard play for England, and I mean that. And anyone who watched Stephen Gerrard play for England will uh, know that that is not a compliment. Um, you know, he's going for those balls that are going to come off one time in a hundred, where you you want him playing the the balls that are going to come off sort of one time in five. If you're looking for those those balls over the top, so yeah, I, I think it's. I think it is just that awareness of your surroundings almost just like just knowing what's going on around you and thinking this isn't the time or place to be doing this. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I'd agree. But I I think we, we need to get onto the third goal to complete this sort of 20 minutes really. And it's a great finish from Brooks, isn't it? It's a wonderful finish. There's no mm. denying that. But you've got Solanke who has scored twice already and he's looking incredibly sharp is allowed to not only control that ball coming into the box but then also lay it off and that's when you realize that your defense is definitely having an off day because I I'm not so sure with a Stearman or Schindler in there to be frank that a striker who's already scored two goals gets the chance to control that ball and lay it off I think either of them are far more aware of the danger now and getting touch tight and just frankly not giving him the time and space to do that yeah it was it was Romani Edmonds Green that sort of that lost Solanke uh it's just that that strikers run in the box that you always see where they take a step back to draw the defender that way and then two steps forward to to just get rid of them and the, the, they found him with the cross and then Brooks is is Harry Toffolo's man and I thought I mean you text me saying if you don't mind me saying Dave that, that this was probably Toffolo's worst game in a town shirt and, and I would mm-hmm. agree with that I thought he really struggled for some reason Jefferson Lerma was ended up being his man a lot of the game um, he, he sort of drifted out to the, from the centre to the right and he had that ongoing battle with, with Toffolo and Toffolo came out second best too often but here it was David Brooks was his man um, and when it's sort of compounding mistakes because when Solanke controlled the ball Toffolo came away from Brooks to try and sort of make up for it um, and in doing so just gave Brooks all the space in the world and gave him a, a clear sight at goal um, so Solanke just touched it back to him and as you say it was a great finish And but yeah I mean I would agree with Carlos Corbrand probably that out of all of the five goals this one is probably sort of the most it, as as Corbrand put it, there were still mistakes in this goal, but they happen goals like this sometimes. Um, it's not like there was a glaring error like the one for the for the second goal, or that they just didn't offer any resistance to to an attack like the the first and the the fourth goals in particular. But there's there's still things that that they can learn from with that one. Uh, and I thought Solanke's movement was excellent and. And I don't think Edmunds Green probably has played against anyone of, of Dominic Solanke's quality before, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I, I know that Solanke didn't make it at Chelsea or Liverpool, but that's no <laughs> that's no yeah. huge indictment. You know, he still played for for those teams. He's he's had an education at that at those teams. Um and he was in sensational form to be fair, Solanke. Yeah. I mean he's a striker playing below his level. Yeah. That that's the reality. And I mean you can there are a lot of incredibly cruel stats about him last season playing in a team that were bound for relegation and what have you, but he's, he's a Premier League striker. That's the reality. 
And Edmunds Green will will learn out of this. And to put it in context, I'm not so sure Saar has ever played against someone of that quality. Yeah, it's not just not. because Edmunds Green is like only on his second start. But even so, there are still things you can do. There are still mm. ways you can combat it. And as I said, I, I just think Stearman or Schindler gets tight to uh, to Solanke in that, that moment. And probably, I'm not saying the goal definitely doesn't happen, but it's certainly not as easy as taking a touch into space and then laying it back to your your strike partner to to pick his spot you know that's that's too easy really it's too easy but then again I thought you know let's let's give town credit there was another little brief rally but the problem is the sort of the game's gone at them that point and then Brooks should have scored a fourth when he got that I think it was another layoff for Solanke and he just he picked his spot and he like he went near post when he should have gone far really and he shaped to go far, gave the goalkeeper the eyes and but put it wide, didn't he? And then there was the free kick before half time as well, which Heyman did well to keep out. But you go in at half time three nil down away at Bournemouth and it's it's game over, isn't it? It's it's yeah. nobody is coming out for that second forty five minutes. Good. We can still get some here, lads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean Bournemouth scored with all of their first three shots. Um, mm. But it 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 definitely wasn't. I remember that Fulham game last season, the three two, where all of the first five shots of the whole game just went in, and it was just yeah. one of those games. But this wasn't that. I mean, they gave the, the opportunities that they that they gave to Bournemouth were just far too easy for them to score, you know. And yeah, you you, you just can't do that. I think this no. was this was. I mean, we we talked a lot about the Cardiff game, but at least the Cardiff game, and he shouldn't have been in that position anyway. But at least Sardra slept for that for that Cardiff goal. Yeah. This one he actively gave it away, and yeah, it was it was pretty horrendous to be honest, um, start to finish. And as you say, Towns. I mean, Town in the second half barely had any shots at all. Most of their most of their sort of best opportunities came in the first half. Um, there was a Jaden Brown shot where he comes inside. Yeah, um, right. early on, which which. Uh, it was it was nice to see Jaden Brown do that because there's there's a player that I think I have I have a far higher regard for than quite a few other people looking on social media. But we know exactly what a bastion of common sense social media <laughs> is. Um, and I you know I thought I thought he did as well as anybody could in those circumstances. Yeah. To be brutally honest, but that that fourth goal, Stanislas just run it. I mean. Pritchard realizes he, he's doing his—he's absolutely doing his best to get back, but he realizes as soon as he goes in for the slide, he can't do anything other than basically lose—you know—give away the foul there. And I'm sure he's seeing Bakuna coming across and Toffolo in front of him and thinking, "Don't worry, I'm sure one of them will will get will sort it." But Bakuna makes up the yards, but then offers nothing. Yeah. Doesn't even attempt to tackle. And then Toffolo's body shape is really weird because he sets off from about, I don't know, six when he's six feet away from him, it's like he's wanting to show him left, which is showing him inside, but he's really telegraphed it. So all, it only takes just sort of a touch inside from Stanislas. And Toffolo's got absolutely no chance there. And I've never actually seen Toffolo do that before. No, he always run, he just runs out of the way effectively, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but if you look, like I say, when he's sort of six, eight feet away from it, he's already shaped to show him inside. But you wouldn't want to show him inside because you're literally showing him central. Yeah, <laughs> and 
I don't know, it was a very odd piece of defending. It was a run that came from way too far away. It, it was just, there were three chances really to stop him. And that was Pritchard, Bakuna and Toffolo. And not one of the three actually put any sort of meaningful challenge in. And you just think that's a tired legs, tired mind. 3-0 down after 20 minutes. Struggling to get any foothold or impact in the game type of goal to concede, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, Brahima Diara's there with the press initially and that they get past him. And as you say, then it just, just falls apart. I think Pritchard should have went as soon as they got past Diara. Pritchard probably should have realised the danger as well or the potential danger um, because he's, he's just sort of a second too slow to start to start getting back and if he'd if he'd set off that second earlier he probably would have would have made that tackle but as you say you can understand why he's you know he's looking at that and thinking well there's there's eight players behind the ball here um you know and and also what minute was that uh 67 yeah Pritchard's not played any football for a month and Mm. that's 67th minute of the game he was understandably he was blowing at that point yeah you know he, he was he was his he was struggling at that point. Yeah, but it's it's and, it's what we were talking about earlier. Just the midfield too, just offering absolutely no resistance. Yeah. They get past Bakuna so easily. But then that fifth goal as well. You look at that fifth goal, and um, sorry, it just gets ahead of O'Brien and O'Brien, who is like everything in this team, and who we've waxed lyrical about, and who just provides them so much energy and drive and pace and adrenaline. Just never even looks like he's going to get anywhere near touched tight to him and it's it's again it's another sort of easy goal for Bournemouth it's another goal where they've just carved them apart and that's one of those goals where you definitely look at that and you think if Hoggy was in the team he would either mm. take the tactical foul before it's before Surridge has made his run and just basically check him out the way or he would be a lot tighter I just don't think it would happen and I think I think Hogg Hog's sort of omission from this team right now is a, is a huge thing because we've talked about him before and even before Corbran came in as manager Steve we've talked about Hog being a real bellwether for this team and I think that's still very much the case he's he's been brilliant this season he's adapted and I mean his statistics are off the scale for for Jonathan Hogg you know in terms of passing and all that sort of thing but when he's not there it's a far bigger hole than an injury to a, I don't know say a Schindler leaves isn't it it's yeah. a real it's a real issue yeah and that's not to say that town haven't had heavy defeats with with uh with Jonathan Hogg in the team because they have but it's it's these specific moments where you, where as you say there's just you're just constantly looking at this and saying where's the midfield and to be fair you know backers got a man um on on halfway there it is uh, it's O'Brien's error this one um because there's got a man in acres of space who needs picking up i think it is Solanke and uh and just who's who's dropped deep and he just is a he's got so much room you could put the center circle around him and and kick off comfortably do you know what i mean it's uh it's not good um and that means that then Saar ends up stepping out of the out of the defense to try and close down Solanke and as soon as he sort of takes a step towards Solanke Solanke just lays it off um to I think it's Brooks who then just puts it in for Surridge, who's now not marked because Sar has come away from him. Yeah. So 
it's again it's that we've talked before you've talked before about how with this man-to-man system if any one part fails the whole thing not just falls apart but the wheels go flying off in in multiple different directions i think is what you said so and that's exactly what happened with this one yeah and that was it bad day at the office all round really uh you know I, i think it was i don't think it was the team that should have been picked i don't think any of them played anything like to their potential and then you get Hamer go off at half time um we don't know the full extent of that injury but it doesn't seem too bad does no it, from what yeah so Corbran the other one was Danny Ward which I'm sure you're about yeah. to say went off midway through the second half uh with a recurrence of his hamstring and and Corbran after the game said the then they're hopefully they're hopeful that they're not going to lose Hamer for any length of time it was mm. he just felt something in his groin I think it was more precautionary than anything um I think it's easy to make that decision as well when you've got Ryan Schofield as you back up um and when you're three nil down at half time yeah, and you've got five subs anyway like yeah, yeah. You, you might as well um and then, but but Danny Wards looks like it could be another spell on the sidelines for him, and you sort of um, you feel for him a bit because he's just not had the opportunity to get up and running. You know, pretty much half the season's gone now, probably by the time he gets back, and he's mm. he's still not had a chance to to have a run in the side and and show why they went for him. Yeah, um, and I I'll be honest with you, I don't think anybody has seen anything like. Danny Ward's best form, you know, oh, he, no, he not, played not in the he played in the game against Rochdale, um, and was that was just a it it wasn't a horror show, but it was a team who were trying to get to grips with a new system, a new way of playing, and he just got absolutely nothing. He's then had the injuries, he's then had 10, 15 minutes at the end of games. And in those games, his remit has often been to come on and it's been nothing to do with actually being a striker. It's been to come on and actually set the press from the front line. Mm. Um, And I, I feel for him a bit because when you're desperate for an opportunity to show what you can do getting selected for to start against Bournemouth away um you know with a with a different midfield behind you with Brown and Diacarby either side is not the same as getting a start in the strongest first 11 and you look at that position and that's somewhere where you, I think you could argue that there should have been so ro- some rotation up to this point um you know not that Fraser Campbell's done anything wrong but I think at some point Danny Ward should have had at least a full half before this game um and yeah that that hamstring going is a real blow is a real blow because it's a it's another one of those congested times coming up over the next sort of three four weeks and he's it it feels when a player's out at the moment even if it's only out for a couple of weeks a couple of weeks represents a lot of football (laughs) that's the problem so hopefully though, hopefully it's not a full reoccurrence. Hopefully it's just a you know just a pull and maybe two three weeks he's he's done and back in the back in the side. But again, you've got to you've got to look at Fraser Campbell and you've got to be very serious about his capacity and how much he can play over Christmas. So if Ward's out, then you've got to have a plan B. And I I 
a great advocate of playing strikers in striking positions, I th- I think you hit the Kieran Phillips button. I do. I think you get him into the side and give Campbell a break for again for at least a half, at least a half of football um, over this time because otherwise you're in that danger of another muscle injury. Yeah, it, I would agree with that. I think that the the sort of the biggest thing with with Ward's absence is something that I argued on the the previous show for the for the club on Saturday morning which is with Coroma injured which is something that's happened since we last recorded as well he's out for three months and uh, has, has had an operation um you probably you're losing your most clinical finisher and you know regular listeners will know that that I'm Fraser Campbell's probably biggest fan in in Huddersfield town um but he I think I don't think I could mount an argument that he has been a, a clinical finisher and a an out and out goal scorer for them. You know that isn't where his strengths are and uh, or, or have been, I should say, uh, for Huddersfield Town. That's not what his game has been, and that's not the reason that I'm uh, such a big advocate of his. And I think Danny Ward, when you look at his stats for Cardiff and for for Rotherham before that in the Championship, he's been consistently. And people laugh at this, but it's true. Go and look at the numbers yourself. Uh, a clinical Championship finisher when he's played and and got got opportunities and been presented with chances he's put them away more regularly than pretty much any other striker in this division of the over the last few seasons he's had at this level so um i thought he's that, not had a, I, I don't think he's had a single presentable chance in a town no, yet. i don't he's, think so he's had a couple of very difficult headers you know half chances yeah and that's it yeah exactly and so I thought that with Karoma out, that, that actually, well, the way that you make up for losing your top scorer and your most clinical finisher is you bring in your other clinical finisher who we've barely seen and you, you change the approach a bit so that rather than looking for the left winger to to apply the finish, you look for the centre forward to do it, um, which hasn't been the game with Campbell because Campbell's there to make dummy runs and to, to lead the press. And I thought that that tweak of approach might have stood town in good stead. But as I say, we're waiting for news on how serious that Danny Ward injury is and how long he's going to be out. But from what Corbrand said after the game, they are expecting him to miss at least a couple of games. Um, And we're not going to get that opportunity to see if that that tweak might have have worked. It's going to be back to Campbell. Mm. And the other thing is that it sort of, it, it limits your chances to with unless you bring Kieran Phillips in as you say it limits the the opportunities you have to try something different and maybe try a two up top um maybe alongside and Benzer or alongside Campbell or you know mm. he, there's just there's no I don't, I don't like and Benzer playing as a as a striker no I, I get that. I get why to do it don't get me wrong I get why to do it and I get how he how he stretches a defender in front of him but I I like strikers to be strikers. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But I think now they're down to they've got oh, they've got no one choice. they've got two fit senior wingers and one fit senior striker. Mm, yeah, I, I mean they they yeah I I don't think they're going to have any option. But uh, I I think it was it was really good that they bought uh, Diara on and it was encouraging to see him get some minutes. But let's be realistic, that is very much because they are down to their bare bones. I don't think if Kieran Phillips gets some minutes, anybody should necessarily think that's down because they're down to their bare bones. The lad is playing really, really well at the moment in development football Mm. and probably deserves a shot anyway, Steve, if we're brutally honest with you. Certainly, he deserves a few minutes from the bench. So 
but I, I think they have to be realistic. And I think, again, it, these are not points of criticism. If, if, if Carlos Corbran was a much more experienced manager, I think I would be much more comfortable going in and, and really criticising him for this. But again, he's, he's learning as he goes here. But I think the other thing we need to mention is the fact that he does make the majority of his subs after the 70th minute, 75th minute. And I think going forward, if he's... The way Town are racking up the injuries and the way it's quite obvious that they're going to need to start rotating quite a thin squad anyway, I think you've got to be looking to change it far earlier. I think there's players on that pitch that you give an hour to and then you you change it, particularly when you've got five subs as well, Steve. You know, that's that's a... That's a, a decent opportunity to shuffle your pack. Um, so I think, yeah, it's it's one of those games, this, where I think it's impossible for us to sit here and draw any positives out of it. But you, the, the, the main thing you come away from thinking is, well, hopefully that's been a huge learning experience. Yeah. And, it, it you know, something that is likely not going to be repeated again. I, I would be absolutely staggered if... Town make six changes in another game that's not an FA Cup tie against Plymouth, put it that way. Yeah, and certainly not with sort of the injuries as they are. You know, yeah. if, if you had a full squad available um, and you, you still had sort of Josh Caroma and uh, Richard Stearman and Christopher Schindler and, you know, Jonathan Hogg all fit, then you can probably make an argument that, that there are six changes you can make without having that sort of that big drop off in quality. Um, and, I mean, it is worth saying that it wasn't entirely the team selection that was to blame. I think we've talked about the fact that Toffolo had a poor game, O'Brien had a poor game. So It was the wrong system as well, I think. I think that's also worth mentioning because the way Bournemouth play with that three at the back, Towns three up top were always going to struggle. But then they effectively have a... Like, they put they play a very bold system in that they they almost have two number tens behind the two strikers. Mm. So you the the overload is is like massive throughout the game and what you really need is at least two of those players to to not be on form and unfortunately you had in in Lerma, Billing, Solanke and Brooks you had four players there who were all I mean let's be honest they sniffed blood didn't they Steve that oh, was the yeah. thing they soon as soon as you get that early goal they sniffed blood and they just pushed on and town were done for really we obviously asked Carlos Gorbrun about those that number of, of changes that he made after the game and he was he repeatedly said that he took responsibility for it I think I think he was a bit taken aback to be honest and whatever interpretation as I say you have of, of why you would make so many changes for this game and and having made basically none for the the Sheffield Wednesday game other than the one that they had to to make um I I, as you say, I I would be surprised if he did that again because I think he's, I think he's, I think he's underestimated um, both the drop off in quality and underestimated how badly it would go down as well. Um, just making those changes, um, I I think it's I I would be curious to know, and if anyone out there would know this, I would be interested to know if there is a cultural difference there because I I know that for instance in Italy the attitude would be well you're not going to win this game anyway so yeah. you might as well take take the defeat and just move you know look ahead to the next game because you'll get three points there um with your best team I don't know if the same is true in in Spain I, and I but I know that that Leeds did this as well they would make changes the the difference is that Leeds had the squad to do it 
And mm. and as it stands, as I say, particularly with those injuries, I don't think Town do have the squad where they can make those changes. And I think it it really reveals where those those holes are in the sides. I made a list of if you were doing sort of a wish list for January, who would you want? And I think you want a more experienced right back as back up to Pippa because I, I don't think D'Amico Dehaney or Aaron Rowe are particularly ready at the moment. I think both of them could do with with a loan to to League One or League Two at this stage of their development. They obviously they need centre back cover because they've got Stearman and Schindler both sort of long term absences. They need. Uh, probably another central midfielder a reliable one who is not injury prone or um, prone to having games where they are a complete liability I think they need they definitely need wingers probably two of them at this stage given Karoma's injury where they already needed one um, and probably preferably a centre forward as well um, if that if Danny Ward is is going to continue to have these issues and and you know, and Fraser Campbell is playing so many minutes that he's going to be at risk as well. You probably want a striker too. But then, on the other hand, you then look at the fact that the fixture list does sort of settle down after Christmas. Um, so between the turn of the new year and the end of the season, there's only six midweek games, um, mm. which... <laughs> You do wonder why they pack so many midweek games into October, November, and then have almost none in the second half of the season. And I know why. Well, I can I can answer that. <laughs> the FA Cup and the champ- having to not conflict with the Champions League is that the one? Yeah, it's also building in some contingency if we have a particularly bad January and February in terms of the weather. Yeah, right. So there you go. So, but I mean that sort of. I think that sort of takes the sting out of some of it and you look at it sort of a bit more calmly and sort of taking off the hat of a, a, a team that's just lost 5-0 and has loads of injuries. And you think, well, I know fans aren't, aren't hugely enamoured with him, but Tommy Elphick is going to be back at some point soon. And I think just as cover on the bench um, could probably get you through until Stearman is back, which should be sort of the end of Jan, beginning of February. Um, I, I think they probably could do with that that right back but again Pepper is probably going to need to be rotated less because there's there's fewer games um Jonathan Hogg it's his it's his hip so he's going to be back soon he's sort of a more reliable central midfielder and again you're going to need to to rotate the midfield a bit less um so you're going to get they need Vallejo to to get up to speed exactly I mean he's he's only had two two sort of cameo performances hasn't he that's that's the thing and it, it's very it's a bit like Danny Ward I, I don't think you can judge anything on sort of 15 minutes at the end of a game no. when often your job is completely different to those who have started from minute one so I I, I think they need Vallejo to get more minutes under his under his belt and if it was a normal season and there weren't quite this many games you'd think well yeah keep giving him sort of 15 20 minutes and then that Plymouth FA Cup tie there's the perfect opportunity for Alex Vallejo to start but unfortunately they may well need him before then yeah just as a like for like as you say um rather than Mm. sort of fiddling with the shape um and I think they definitely need those wingers I don't think you can get around that they so we know that they are after Rolando Aaron still and we know that they are looking at a, a, a lad from Ireland plays for Bohemians called Danny Grant um, so that's an interesting one as well uh, you, you've had reports on him haven't you Dave? Yeah, I've I've had their interest confirmed on the Irish side because I have a, a couple of mates who work in the media over there, and he's a, he's a good player, he's a young player, he's only twenty. He was the league's young player of the year, um, and he's out of contract in the summer. He's a slight project player in that he's he's got a way to go. His his end product needs a bit of work. 
He's got a little bit of an eye for the spectacular, um, which can drive one or two of his supporters to distraction sometimes. Um, and he he can play right or left. He he started as a right winger and he's played, you know, he's very comfortable that side. But he's been switched to the left and been predominantly been playing on the left so that he can come inside as a as an inverted winger. So if he plays on the right, I think you're going to get a traditional winger. If he plays on the left, you've got another Josh Caroma, Carlin Grant type player, basically. Mm. Um, the only thing I would say is I think there's quite a few clubs in for him um, because he is a sort of quite a talented young man and, uh, you know, with him being out of contract, he's not going to cost the earth. So, But from what I understand, he's very keen on a move to the Championship um, because a lot of the interest thus far has come from, from League One. Um, so obviously he'll be keen to test himself at the highest level available, I would imagine. Uh, whether Town get it over the line or not, absolutely no idea at this stage. I, I don't think anyone does, but I believe Town are keen. He's keen. Let's let's see what happens. I think Aaron's is the one they need to get done almost immediately because there doesn't seem to be any issue on that deal. So it really should be window open two hours later. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the club. It was, you know, Terrier inbound. Yeah, I think we've said on this podcast before, I think the only reason that they've not sort of tied that up um, officially yet is just in case, he, you know, they sign him now and then he goes and breaks his leg tomorrow. Um, I think you just, you wait until sort of December the 30th, 31st and then sign your paperwork and fax it off, don't you? There's Another quick fitness test. Yeah. Dublin in the door. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's... Um, so that that's your wingers sort of covered and then it's whether they want to get that centre forward and I think I I would do a loan there me yeah. I mean I know uh, I know they have Phillips and I've just advocated giving Phillips some some time so I wouldn't go and get anyone on a permanent I wouldn't even think about it I I would look in the loan market potentially and I would look I would even go so far as to look to say I wouldn't necessarily do a loan deal till the end of the season I would I would probably take a two-month loan with the option to extend Mm. you know if if all parties are happy on someone because I do think when Ward is back and fit he needs a run I don't think Fraser Campbell does anything wrong. You know, I'm not saying he's the best striker in the world, but I don't think he does anything wrong. And you have Kieran Phillips here, who I think you need to give minutes to and you need to give a run. So I I can't, I genuinely can't advocate going out and spending actual money on bringing a striker into the club. But if you could get a loan option, particularly if you could get a striker who was also comfortable playing in a wide position, uh, I think that's that's the way to possibly go on that. Yeah. So there's there's work to be done, but I think probably we're not we're still not going to see loads. I th- I think probably two or three would go a long way in in this window. Again, just bearing in mind that there's going to be players coming back from injury. There's going to be there's there's fewer games to cover. So like a player missing two weeks is suddenly not as urgent as it would have been because it's not five games. No, it? exactly. It's it's you know it's between one and three games as opposed to between three and five games it just it takes that bit of a sting out of it and as you say the the injuries are going to be less likely as well just because you've got fewer games more recovery time um between games and and less likelihood of getting injured so have you just uh trapped your finger in something there dave i did i've got you see this i don't know if you can see it but my chair's got arms and i just managed to trap my finger between the desk and the arm of the chair (laughs) which made me then forget i've got a 
bad back, so I leant back in pain, which hurt. I'm, I'm, I'm suffering for my art here. I think what it's also worth talking about in January, Steve, is the outs. Yeah, yeah. So you would think that if they, if they can get out any of the players that they'd be looking at going in the summer anyway, that that they would do that. So there's there's 13 players out of contract, and included among them uh, are the likes of Giannini Bacuna uh, and Alex Pritchard and Adama Diakabi and. Fraser Campbell even and as we said on this podcast before I think if there are opportunities to bring forward their summer plans and the deal is right I think they would consider doing that uh, particularly given the injuries that they've got but also if they're able to sell anyone um, or even get them you know if they're if they're players that are underperforming then and someone's willing to cover their wages then look at getting a loan out for them uh, until the end of the season and then bring someone in again bring your summer plans forward and sign someone in, in January instead so I don't think there's anyone really uh, particularly now with with Karoma injured I don't think there's anyone really who you've got that Carl and Grant situation where you're going into a window thinking oh there's a good chance this player's going to leave I think probably the the two that clubs would be looking at potentially would be Harry Tofflow and Lewis O'Brien but I don't think we've not heard anything concrete from from anyone on on either of those so I think it would be a it would still be a surprise if they were to go at all I think I think there's always a chance in the summer when you've got players who are performing so well but uh I would be surprised if either of them left in January so and I don't think the club would be particularly willing to let them go either I think they would do what they did with Grant and say sorry come back in the summer yeah, I think Huddersfield Town as a football club, the real you've got to be realistic and say everybody in that squad has a price. That's just a reflection of where Town are at the moment. But I, I think, I think if they could get money for say Alex Pritchard, if they could get a couple of million even, um, I think they'd see it as a huge result. But I also suspect that they only want an out if they've got an in lined up if only a loan signing you know to cover i i think the sort of mission in january will be like you say to get a couple of wingers there's a chance with danny grant the irish lad that the deal might have to be done on a pre-contract so he wouldn't actually come in on the summer um he may not be apparently bohemians aren't absolutely desperate for the money because they know that they're going to get some form of compensation for him either way so i i don't and you know if he does come to town town are not going to pay massive money for him when he's out of contract in the summer either so I don't know if that one will get over the line or not I've no idea to be honest with you as I said I I can only go on what I've been told from from the Irish side of things but I I think in January there's going to be a lot of we we had a sort of off-air conversation Steve with with Matt from the other podcast about a lot of the Premier League clubs who didn't do the sort of volume of loans that they usually do with their development players and their youth squads etc because they were worried about the schedule and how Mm. the season was going to progress now as it's turned out most are coping absolutely fine with it I suspect the loan market is going to be pretty active actually in January um, to to the championship, particularly the higher end of the championship. And I suspect there might be quite a few very decent players being offered around. So I don't know if Town do get some sort of sniff with some money for a Bakuna or a Pritchard. I, I would imagine it could be quite easy to get that replacement lined up and get that deal done. So who knows, really? Yeah, I mean, we're not too far away from it now, really. Um, you know, there's only how many games? One, two, three, four games between now and the opening of the transfer window. I think until then, it's just, I mean, well, they've got no choice. But I think it's very similar to last year where you just got to grit your teeth and, and get through it, really. Um, and 
and just mm-hmm. do what you can until until January. I think as well, I mean, for all this has been a ne- very negative uh, episode, I, I've said to you, Dave, that when you're playing, that I'm sort of looking at the season in chunks of three games at the moment because I want to see when they're going to break that sort of that win-draw-loss, win-draw-loss thing. And to be fair, the last sort of chunk of three, they did do that because they beat QPR and Sheffield Wednesday after losing to Cardiff. But I thought with this, these three games, uh, which in my head are Bournemouth, Coventry and, and Watford, that three points would actually be quite good because of Bournemouth and Watford's league position and uh, and Coventry are actually in really, really good form at the moment. They're one of the, the most informed teams in the championship. They've not lost since before the last international break. Um, mm. So I felt like three points would have been quite a good return. So if they do go and beat Coventry on Wednesday afternoon or they beat Watford uh, on the coming Saturday, then to be fair, they've, they've done what I thought they were going to do as a as a in, a in a positive situation. That that Watford game's going to be a dog. Yeah, I can't tell now. Watford are they are not nice to watch at all. That that Watford will come into that game from the position of we will not lose this. So Town are going to have to be at their absolute very best to break down what is probably going to be either a line of five with one behind with one in front or a line of four with two in front, and they. Watford have sort of completely changed their mentality and they're all about nicking a win like they did against Birmingham at the weekend. So that's going to be that's going to be a very tough game, particularly without Karoma. Um, you know, it's it's I don't know, it smells a bit nil nil to me if I'm honest. But the Coventry game, after picking this side and and resting yeah. those players, let's be honest, the Coventry game they have to win it. You know, they they really need to win it, and that's. It's never a particularly comfortable position to be in when it's an away game against anyone yeah. in this division. Um, so yeah, we, we'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see what we don't want to happen here is Town to lose badly against Bournemouth, lose against Coventry, and lose against Watford. That really would be a sort of disaster of a week, really. But uh, yeah, let's see how it shakes out. Yeah, we'll see. Right, there's still time to get your Christmas deals at Ockley Books, though, aren't there, Dave? There is indeed. Yeah, get over there right now. Lovely stuff. Nice and simple. High energy. Yeah, oakleybooks.co.uk <laughs> for that. Um, and yeah, we will see you next time on Utopia. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.